Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Dissenter. I'm your host, Ricardo Lopes, and today I'm joined by Dr. Paulo Castro. Uh, he has graduate, graduated in anthropology at the Nova University of Lisbon in 1996, after studying physics at the University of Lisbon. He taught mathematics and IT in secondary and polytechnical schools. In 2014, he obtained his PhD in the philosophy of contemporary thought with the dissertation, The Epistemology of Choice on the Possibility of Artificial Simulation of Human Intelligence. In 2015, Dr. Castro became a member of the Center for Philosophy of Science of the University of Lisbon, working on philosophy of quantum physics. Recently, and pursuing more foundational questions in physics, he has started working on the philosophy of quantum gravity. He is also very interested in both artificial intelligence and environmental philosophy related to sustainability. So, Dr. Castro, thank you a lot for taking the time thank to come on the show. Thank you very much for, for having me and uh, congratulations for the show. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. Okay, great. So, it's my pleasure. So, um, okay, so we're going to focus most of our conversation today on the philosophy of quantum physics, right? So, uh, okay. maybe, maybe let's start with this. Uh, last year, in 2018, uh, you published a paper, a paper titled space-time as an emergent phenomenon, a possible mm -hmm. way to explain entanglement and the tunnel effect. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things perhaps that we need to explain because most people, I guess, w uh, won't be familiar with them. But mm -hmm. let's start with this. Uh, mm -hmm. In that paper and in other parts of your work, you refer to the pilot wave theory. Could yeah. you explain what is that about and perhaps uh, contrast it with the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, uh, I should say that uh, my work is uh, not only my work, it's, it's our, our work. Uh, we are, uh, well, well in, in my team there are two physicists, uh, Professor Crocker, and uh, Mario Gatta, and also a third physicist, uh, uh, Rui Moret, and so we, we uh, always uh, work together about uh, the pilot wave theory. So, um, in 1927, uh, Louis de Broglie um, was working in uh, quantum uh, theory, which is an uh, alternative to uh, Bohr's views. And so, uh, in Bohr's views, which is the orthodox uh, 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 interpretation of the theory, and the, which is the uh, actual uh, theory which is uh, followed by everyone, in Bohr's uh, view, you have a kind of uh, a metaphysical wave, which is the psi wave. Uh, this wave is spread throughout the entire universe, and um, um, in uh, every point of the universe, when the, uh, an intelligent or a conscious uh, agent makes an observation, the particle which is associated to that wave 
um, will appear from out of nowhere. That is, the wave will collapse. That is called the um, uh, vector or wave uh, reduction, and the particle uh, will appear. And this is uh, what quantum mechanics say. It's the, the thing about... Uh, the dependence of uh, the objects uh, uh, from or, uh, the uh, interaction with the uh, observer. Well, uh, this seems a lot to me and to my colleagues <laughs> because, <Right>. you know, <laughs> you would uh, be able to uh, transform something which lives in a kind of platonic world in a particle and uh, um, and furthermore uh, you would be able to tackle with uh, an infinite wave and so um, uh, in fact in 1927 now, now Louis de Broglie at the same time that Paul was thinking about uh, this, uh, this kind of uh, things he imagined uh, that the wave would not be a kind of platonic wave but would be a real physical wave and um, and in fact he was thinking about it but uh, I think he, he didn't um, uh, take into account that the wave should not be infinite although uh, some uh, work of Broglie uh, say, uh, is about making uh, the, the wave not infinite but fi finite so um, in that point the pilot wave theory what is saying is that the uh, the wave exists at the same time as the particle and uh, it's a kind of guiding mechanism uh, that um, well uh, that uh, tells the particle what kind of tra trajectories the particle should follow um, well uh, again the problem of the infinity of the wave made the theory somehow uh, not accepted and other other problems of course but um, uh, uh, Professor Crocker uh, was um, uh, uh, a PhD student from uh, another uh, Portuguese scientist, um, uh, was uh, uh, a PhD student of the Broglie, uh, made uh, uh, really, uh, he made a change and he, he, he introduced uh, instead of an infinite wave, a finite wave. And now, you can um, make quantum physics using not waves but wavelets, which are kind of waves, uh, let's say, a kind of um, uh, bell, uh, you know, the, the, the bell uh, uh, shape. So uh, it is a bell-shaped wave. And so um, with this kind of uh, a tool, you can uh, imagine that uh, uh, every particle in, and, in fact, every uh, object as associated a kind of wave which is guiding the trajectory of the object although the object uh, is kind of free of uh, choosing its its own uh, um, its own way it 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 uh, it will be at the sites where the wave has larger intensity mm -hmm. um, so what we are trying to do is to uh, develop the theory furthermore and try to um, apply apply this kind of things also to microscopic uh, uh, phenomena like for instance the solar system and uh, of course uh, to try to see what kind of consequences uh, from uh, well I should say initially from a philosophical point of view that is an open-minded point of view uh, what kind of consequences it it can bring to, for instance, quantum gravity. Mm -hmm. mm. So this is the pilot wave theory. In mm -hmm. 
few minutes. <laughs> right. right. But, but, but the, there are several complicated things uh, there and even perhaps for people who are not familiar with physics and even more particularly with quantum mechanics, perhaps it's hard for them to understand. So uh, when you talk about a particle mm -hmm. that has also sort of a wave around it, right? Yeah. I, I mean, is it something that the particle emits or something that emanates from the particle? Yeah, sure, sure. How, how, how does it work exactly? Well, um, you have to think that uh, every, every object is a kind of um, uh, os oscillator which um, is uh, um, spreading, it's emitting uh, that wave. Uh, the wave, in fact, is has a very low energy and so uh, the, the, the way the wave interacts with the object uh, will be in what is called a nonlinear way. That is, uh, a small effect from the wave will bring a large effect in the object. Mm -hmm. This is the first thing to, to notice. The other thing is that uh, this kind of waves are spreading um, uh, at the surface, let's say, of what we call the subquantum medium which is uh, to, uh, well, the, here you, we, can, uh, um, we can accept that the philosophical way of thinking, which is always the kind of, I think, right way of thinking that precedes every new theory, where you are kind of lost, <laughs> uh, 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 enters. And so uh, you have to think that the subquantum medium is a kind of undefined medium, uh, which is uh, kind of uh, below space and time and, uh, and particles and all that. And uh, what you are watching uh, uh, at uh, uh, levels uh, above, at higher scales, uh, are um, uh, a kind of um, organized states of that uh, chaotic media. So uh, the waves are kind of um, first order organizing state of the subquantum medium. So they, they are to be sought as a kind of um, primordial and elementary uh, um, states of organization. And so you have two things. You have the, the particle, which of course if you zoom inside it, you will find more waves because you will find more parts. That is, uh, we uh, reject uh, the, 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 the hypothesis that uh, you have um, uh, what is what are called uh, point-like uh, uh, particles, that is uh, primordial atomic entities without extension, which is uh, again very strange, because a point without extension is a mathematical thing, not a physical thing. But uh, well, and um, so you you will have always uh, an emitter, which are which is the object and the wave surrounding it, and all interactions in nature are to be sought, like uh, the electromagnetic force, the gravitic uh, force, uh, whatever, are to be sought as uh, interactions which occur uh, between the waves. So everything is kind of, can could be described using uh, an undulatory mechanic, if you, if you will. So that's, that's the, the ideas, the main ideas. Okay, and the subquantum medium that you talk about, is it part of the space-time continuum? Ah, okay. or, or is it below space-time and gives mm -hmm. rise to it? I mean, well, what's the relationship there? 
Good question. Um, well, uh, at, uh, in, in the contemporary physics uh, uh, and uh, in uh, quantum gravity, uh, especially, uh, people are, are thinking about space and time like uh, uh, derived phenomena from something else which is more fundamental. For instance, in uh, quantum loop gravity, that would be the case. That is, I think, the most preeminent theory about it. Um, so, uh, there are uh, two reasons, I think, for thinking that um, space-time continuum is like um, a thing that is, um, uh, I don't, I don't uh, it can be derived from another thing more fundamental. And the two things are the entanglement, the entanglement uh, phenomena. And, uh, and I think everyone knows about entanglement. Uh, there, there are two objects which are um, uh, uh, spread from a, a common source, uh, let's say two uh, electrons with uh, one spin up and the other spin down. And what happens is that when the two particles are far away, and you make a measure uh, upon one of them, uh, the other one will kind of respond in the opposite way in the kind of instantaneous mode. And so this makes space-time there a kind of uh, thing that is not playing a fundamental role and something else is happening, perhaps uh, under <laughs> and the, the space-time tapestry or, or, or something. That's one, one thing to uh, uh, take into account. The other thing is the tunnel effect. In the tunnel effect, you send a particle to a barrier. A barrier here is, uh, well, let's uh, imagine like a very high ho uh, wall the, with the uh, potential energy which is higher than the energy of the particle. And what happens is that uh, the, the somehow and the sometimes the particles seem to uh, cross over uh, between one barrier and another barrier in um, zero time in a zero time transition. That would mean that uh, you would have an infinite uh, velocity or something. But uh, what may be happening is that space there is not an important factor for describing the phenomena. So these two kinds. Of, of things which comes, of course, from quantum mechanics uh, are suggesting that uh, you should uh, perhaps uh, try to look for things under, under space-time, the space-time continuum. So, but, um, well, but there's a problem. <laughs> there's always a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the problem is this, uh, uh, now talking uh, in a philosophical way. If you go back to Kant, Kant is saying that um, you have space and time as a priori uh, conditions for perception. That is, uh, let's think about it like uh, when you think and uh, try to describe things and observe things, in fact, you are observing in space and time. So, uh, uh, the, the, the problem can be that uh, all language, all the natural languages and the mathematical language and, and well, whatever that you are producing and that that, uh, that are, uh, you suppose, very abstract and so on, are always grounded to space and time perceptions and ways of thinking and so on. And so it's very difficult, I think, to uh, try and uh, sort out what is under space the space-time continuum, although it can it can very well be that uh, something is uh, uh, under under it. So um, 
what we have uh, tried to do well uh, among us, there are always discordance also. And um, for instance, uh, Professor Kroc and, and Rui Moreira are trying to make a theory uh, which is uh, uh, trying to describe things uh, uh, under the space-time continuum. On the other hand, the other two members of the team are trying to do something above. That is, uh, immediately above. Uh, uh, in other words, you can imagine uh, space and time like, um, well, uh, two spaces. One uh, uh, above a lake, let's say, and that would be uh, our 3D dimensions with time and so on. And uh, the other one below the lake, which is a dark lake, and you cannot see uh, anything, but you can see, uh, at least you can see the undulation uh, above the lake. And so we are trying to uh, understand what is below the lake using the undulation uh, on the lake. Okay? So we are trying to infer something about uh, the way uh, things uh, uh, under space-time continuum affects space-time continuum, but using phenomena that we can perceive at the level of space-time continuum because we are beings that live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very complicated, but it's mm -hmm. very interesting that you refer to Kant because isn't it the case that what Kant was talking about is the fact that we as human beings and even other animals probably apprehend reality in terms of space and time, but that the, uh, also doesn't correspond with the notion of space-time continuum that we have in physics, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we, we don't have intuitive perceptions of about how space and time function in a continuum. We tend to separate space from time and yeah. vice versa yeah. in our yeah. mind. So <laughs> it's not even the case that with our intuitions or the way we perceive the world, we aren't even able to get at what is below the space-time continuum. We can't really apprehend how the space-time continuum itself uh, functions with just our intuitions, right? So, uh, yes, yes. Uh, the, the, the thing is that um, uh, it seems that in, in the paper you mentioned about the emergent uh, space-time being an, an, an emergence from something else, more fundamental, what is said in the paper is that um, in some uh, uh, situations, space and time um, do not relate as usual. You can have something like that in, uh, in uh, gravitational phenomena because the space-time in Einstein's theory is um, uh, curved, is uh, deformed in, in some ways. But in this case, what I think is happening is that um, space um, and time um, are not um, uh, proportional. I'm going to give you, it's not easy to explain because mathematically it would be easier, but the, the thing is this. When you have a, a, a particle traveling through space, uh, 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 the time it 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 will um, it will um, uh, make that uh, uh, journey in a certain interval of time, and if you divide the space, which is uh, uh, 
which the, the particle is going to travel uh, for the time it, it, it uh, spent traveling it, you will have the velocity, of course. But it may happen that, uh, that this relation will not be the right relation for some kind of interactions, for instance, in entanglement and in the tunnel. That is, uh, space will not be proportional, the space uh, uh, traveled will not be um, directly proportional to the time that the particle has uh, 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 spent traveling it. So the velocity will not be a fundamental concept in that kind of spaces. So. This is a kind of thing uh, um, um, a little bit more general than, I think, uh, special relativity, but also uh, something that is pointing in the direction of uh, gravitational phenomena. In other words, perhaps what we are seeing at uh, the atomic and quantum level are kinds of uh, special space-times that are forming there, and uh, which, uh, of course, will not be depending on the uh, gravi uh, gravitational masses because the masses there are very, very tiny. So uh, it perhaps uh, it, the space there is being deformed by another kind of factor, and that uh, that kind of factor uh, should be something uh, which is in the subquantum level, that is in the subquantum minimum, that is uh, uh, under space and time. Of course, uh, 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 your question was about we tend to um, separate things, right? Mm -hmm. Time and space and so on. So what we are uh, thinking now is that perhaps that kind of separation is not in fact right. It, it is not right in Einstein's theory because the space-time continuum is kind of a thing which is a tapestry, an infinite tapestry all over um, uh, space-time, <laughs> uh, but um, the point is uh, philosophers uh, from, uh, well, from all times tended to uh, separate space and time and perhaps the, the, the right idea is that our uh, experience of the world is really a space-time global experience, that is, when I am leaving um, I'm, I, I, I really uh, cannot uh, uh, separate in uh, a conscious way what is spy, uh, space and what is time. It's, it's uh, an whole. And so perhaps what physics is telling is just that, that you cannot separate, you should not separate. Perception is holistic and can perhaps uh, uh, separate it too much, yes, space from time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, about the sub-quantum medium, I mm. mean, uh, what would we be talking about at that level in terms of particles? Because when we... No, partic no particles there. Oh, the there part are no particles? No. In the, the sub-quantum, well, now another problem comes. If I cannot... Talk, the, let's uh, take a metaphor. Uh, uh, think about um, the the... the the gas inside the balloon and uh, think about the hypothesis that you cannot see what's inside the balloon. So how could we uh, know uh, what's inside the balloon? Well, because the balloon stretches, because it has a, a certain temperature, because it has a certain volume, that is things that I can see outside the balloon. So in this case, 
in the subquantum medium, we can only imagine that there are uh, inside it uh, there are uh, things. Uh, for instance, in the, the quantum loop gravity, you have a formalism that is talking about, I think, uh, uh, stru structures which are um, a kind of uh, uh, connections between points, uh, the, and, and those connections uh, mean areas and volumes, and the, the old structure is a, a spin network is evolving, and I don't know what space, and there's also there the problem of describing the, the, the evolution time because there's no time there, because time is a thing that comes only after. And um, well, so uh, the same problem from the, the Kant objection stills, uh, still uh, uh, holds because you are trying to imagine a scene that, uh, in my view, you cannot see, you cannot uh, describe. Uh, with with uh, with the uh, let's say with the cognitive tools you now have, mm -hmm. which are space time and cognitive tools because we are uh, in fact living in space and time. So sure. um, so you we you can um, you must describe it kind of indirectly, okay? Mm -hmm. So well, we found out that the the wavelets the wavelets have two uh, properties uh, very simple properties the first property is that it has an uh, a maximum extension mm. okay and the other of course because it's finite right mm. the other property is that um, it has um, uh, a, a finite uh, time that is uh, what this means is that every a phenomena happening inside the wavelet inside uh, or under the, the, the wave influence has a maximum time that will not exceed that parameter. And so, uh, I should mention now another thing, <laughs> uh, that is, uh, in quantum mechanics, you have the Schrodinger, um, uh, sorry, the Heisenberg uncertainty relations, of course. And the, uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty relations, if one uh, should uh, think that they are the last <laughs> about this kind of things um, uh, are telling you that you at the quantum level you cannot have trajectories you can have you cannot have positions mm -hmm. like the things I'm, I'm telling but uh, it so happens that if you use wavelets you will have another kind of uncertainty relations which are more general and that when uh, the, you make the extension of the wavelets very big and so uh, very large, and so uh, approaching uh, what is used in the orthodox quantum mechanics, um, and if you make also the uh, temporal uh, limitness of the of the wave also very large, uh, you will get uh, Eisenberg uncertainty relations. So Eisenberg uncertainty relations are a special case of those more more general uncertainty relations. You, uh, you, there's a paper about it also. The other thing in those kind of uh, relations is that you can also have the situation where you have deterministic description, which is very interesting because you will have Newton in one side or Einstein in one side and Heisenberg on the other side. And so they are very general indeed. So what this means is that the, the two parameters there, which are the uh, maximum extension of the wave and the maximum temporality of the wave can be used in the, well, let's say, 
kind of smart smart way <laughs> and you can <laughs> and um, uh, you can have um, uh, from those parameters a thing that uh, um, is characterizing the way space-time behave in certain circumstances once you assume that those parameters that you are using are also uh, kind of describing indirectly the parameters being the the maximum uh, extended extension of the wave and the maximum temporality of the wave. So those kinds, those two parameters are also uh, describing in an indirect way uh, properties of the subquantum medium. Okay, so like uh, uh, in the metaphor back then, uh, back uh, minutes ago, like temperature would describe the way the molecules in the gas inside the, the balloon are behaving and so on, but I cannot see the molecules. Okay, so those are the things uh, uh, we are trying to um, ascertain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in your first answer, you've already alluded to the fact that you're trying to apply uh, this theory to more macroscopic phenomena, like, for example, uh, gravity, you refer to mm -hmm. the solar system, for example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, how would that go? Uh, how would this theory uh, help explain how gravity works and perhaps uh, try to unify both quantum physics and uh, general mm -hmm. relativity? So, uh, that's a tall uh, uh, thing to ask. <laughs> unify. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> perhaps 100 years from now or something. <laughs> but um, the thing is, um, uh, well, what we have um, uh, tweaked with is, is something called the Titius-Bod um, uh, phenomena or, uh, well, law or regularity. And the, 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 the Titius-Bod is something that runs like this. Um, uh, I think in... Uh, uh, 1650 or something like that, uh, it was uh, observed that um, th there is this uh, kind of the mathematical description where when you place there the number one, yes, the number one, you, you will have a mercury uh, um, uh, distance from the sun. If you place the number two, you will have the distance uh, between Venus and uh, um, uh, the sun, three hertz and the sun, and so on. And uh, I should have that uh, uh, Pluto, right, the, 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 it will not conform to this. It's a kind of a, a wild planet or something. <laughs> well, but. Uh, uh, never mind that, because uh, every physicist knows that uh, in his kind of speculations there will also always be something that will not conform, and so no problem. The majority of the the majority of the, of the planets will uh, conform to this kind of of law, and this means that the planets, the orbit, the orbits uh, of the planets around the sun are quantified. Because in the first uh, um, hydrogen um, uh, model made by Bohr, um, what you would have is that, in fact, uh, the, 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 the distance of the electrons to, uh, to the center, to the nucleus of the hydrogen atom, would also be quantified in an expression which is, well, similar, not the same, but similar. Well, 
it, it in fact, uh, well, it happens that if you take that uh, the, 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 the hobbits of the planets to the sun are quantified, uh, then uh, you can uh, imagine that uh, there, uh, each orbit uh, is, uh, in fact, a kind of um, stationary wave. We, uh, that means that uh, the, earth, the, the Earth, for instance, would have a, a, a kind of wave that I was talking about, mm -hmm. which uh, is uh, uh, um, connected with itself, and the... the being connected with this self is kind of um, tuned, that is, uh, uh, in the parameter of uh, the, the orbit, you will have an uh, integer number of uh, half wavelengths of that wave. And so you can describe the orbits of every planet in the solar system uh, using that kind of, of idea. And uh, there's, there's also a very interesting thing that is, in this kind of quantified models, um, you will have to uh, use a constant, which is uh, the, the, the action constant. And of course, the, the action constant for the solar system will not be the H constant of Planck, which is very good for the hydrogen and other kinds of systems, but will not be uh, good for the solar system. So what this means is that uh, every system would have, or every class of systems in, uh, it, in their own scale, would have a typical constant which will describe the behavior of the, those kind of systems, of those uh, systems in that class at that scale. Um, and uh, I think you have in the exoplanetary uh, systems discovered a lot of systems which follow a kind of Titius-Bod law, but as they are very far away, uh, people really can't tell if that's the case or not. There's a uh, kind of uncertainty in the measurement of the observations, and so we are uh, well. We are waiting. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps our theory is more uh, uh, useful than than we really think. <laughs> so that's the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. but uh, that wave field that you talk that you talk about that perhaps planets also emit. I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, we yeah. say that. Yeah. So is it a composite of all the waves that the particles they are composed of emit? Or, or is it something that is really associated with the physical object itself? It will be both, I think. It will be okay. both. It will be both. Uh, of course, uh, you... If you are saying that every interaction in the world is an undulatory interaction, you will have compositions of waves, of course, and also a kind of uh, um, resulting large wave that uh, will extend. Uh, what we have uh, seen is that uh, if you uh, tackle with those kind of models, uh, of course, uh, gravitational uh, uh, waves Subquantum waves will have very large uh, wavelengths. Will be very large waves, and so and also, the, their frequency will be extremely low. Okay, so um, uh, and of course you, you will have uh, in that case uh, in the uh, near the, the for instance the hertz itself. You will have a kind of composition, but all all those uh, composed waves 
will also uh, oscillate in, in the way that uh, a kind of uh, secondary larger wave will extend, composed wave will extend, okay, and will connect itself, and uh, that's in fact the stationary condition in, 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 uh, in uh, wave physics, in wave mechanics, of course. Uh, but uh, do you expect that this would in any way contradict the phenomena or at least the way we understand the phenomena that occur at a quantum level or uh, the principles that operate under general relativity in terms of explaining how gravity works or, or that it would simply integrate them in a certain way it's 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 uh, again it's a very tall uh, thing to ask because uh, uh, it's it, it's a very uh, fresh way of thinking about things and uh, but uh, the the thing is um, perhaps uh, the, well we have another problem which is the the following um, in the solar system it seems that the masses of the planets are irrelevant for this kind of thing but um, irrelevant in terms of the overall description. But of course, for instance, for the wave, the, the, the stationary wave to um, uh, form itself, you should have a very large uh, oscillator uh, working there and perhaps mass uh, will have uh, a kind of role uh, to play there. But uh, uh, in fact, what I think is this, is that um, quantum mechanics, of course, has to be uh, reviewed in this sense, uh, you will you will have to accept that uh, what Bohr sought uh, along the Copenhagen uh, interpretation that is there is an infinite wave everywhere and uh, where is the wave I don't know uh, you cannot observe the wave you can only observe its indirect uh, actions upon the world and so on so the world the, the wave lives somehow in a heavenly uh, medium or something. Uh, the, uh, which is strange. So you have to accept that waves really exist at a fundamental level. They are among us, if, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and, um, and you have to accept that the wave and the particle are there at the same time. In fact, uh, people m might be thinking about the two uh, slit interference experiment and saying that, ah, when you observe uh, uh, through which uh, slit the particle is uh, uh, crossing, um, and uh, you will uh, lose uh, the, the, the wave uh, thing phenomena where what happens is that when you measure, uh, in fact, uh, uh, the particle passing to one or the other slit, you are destroying the interference, you are tackling in the wave also, and so also because the two things are there, and so you will have in the screen uh, at the front of you, you will have a loss of interference, of course. And so, but um, of course, there are experiments that are designed to uh, detect this kind of waves. There are also, uh, I think, uh, yes, a generator of what is called empty waves, because you can have those kind of waves without the particle. Uh, and so you can perhaps tackle technologically in things. Uh, perhaps you can, um, in fact, uh, uh, make quantum computation more efficient because there are a decoherence problem there. Uh, 
because uh, we think uh, that kind of problem is due to the fact that the particles are inside the waves and as the particles uh, tackle with other particles the, inter the, the coherence of the waves will be lost and the calculus will be lost and so on. That's why people tend to have, uh, uh, put uh, quantum computers at very low temperatures and so on. So if you use, uh, if you use empty waves, perhaps you will uh, get better with that kind of, of technological phenomena. So quantum mechanics uh, has to accept that uh, Bohr is not right and that, uh, in fact, the Broglie was. That's the first thing to accept. You have uh, more general uncertainty relations, so there's no problem there. Of course, uh, there are technical problems that you must uh, uh, deal with. Um, in, in the other uh, end, uh, what about general relativity? So general rel relativity, I think, um, will, uh, will not be, um, I think, uh, will not be um, changed. Uh, there's the mass problem, of course, in the Titius board, but uh, perhaps mass can be uh, sought about in other, um, uh, using, uh, for instance, subquantum parameters. And so I think that will not be a problem there. Although there's a thing one should mention, uh, I think that's the only thing general relativity has to change. General relativity is a deterministic theory. That is, things um, will go through trajectories within the, that kind of, 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 of trajectory. The, the trajectories are uh, determined by the initial conditions. In quantum mechanics, you have a kind of freedom of the particles to um, move around. I think in certain aspects of general relativity, uh, perhaps you will uh, find... Um, uh, that the deterministic property will be uh, uh, less strong, let's say. Although, although when you put several conditions, several uh, uh, objects inter interacting between themselves, uh, perhaps you should have something which is more, um, let's say, more uh, imprisoned, more deterministic. You know, like when you have a conjunction, of, of, of several logical conditions, you are always making the, uh, uh, the set uh, 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 shorter and shorter and shorter, and so perhaps that's the, the, how things work well. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, I might be getting this part wrong, but is it the case then that uh, so, there are a lot of theoretical physicists that do work in quantum mechanics that say that at the end of the day uh, it all boils down to uh, reality being observer-dependent because we can't mm. be sure about the states that things are in before we observe them. But with uh, if we were to apply what you were uh, talking about, uh, would that mean that then uh, we would have an observer independent reality, that there would be really things out there uh, in a certain state that are that is not dependent upon upon observation? Well, uh, in one sense, uh, everything is dependent on everything, but uh, in degrees of dependence. That's the thing. Because if you try to measure a very tiny thing, you, of course, will uh, uh, affect the thing. 
and uh, that's a, uh, the, the problem is the degree of interference. But what you are saying, uh, uh, asking is that uh, if really things uh, before being observed are not there, are kind of ghosts hanging in a potential way of existence or something, and our answer to that will be, of course not, that will be very silly, I'm, I'm sorry, that's our, our position, that will be a kind of, of silly, although, although when Boss thought about it, uh, there's a very uh, beautiful talk uh, of Bohr to uh, uh, physicists in uh, Lake Como, I think, in 1927, and he used uh, Eisenberg and certainly relations to uh, defend the fact that things uh, really cannot be um, um, cannot be thought about. In, in some way, in that paper, can in that talk, cannot be sought about as existing independently of an observation. Yes, mm -hmm. but now you have new undetermined uh, 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 relations, more general, and you can think about it. And uh, the, the other thing is that you are imagining now that the subquantum waves are also kind of building the space-time. Okay, so you must be prepared for the fact that the universe can very well behave without you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess that's just good news, because if well. <laughs> there wasn't really an universe independent of uh, some sort of conscious beings, then, uh, I mean, that would be very problematic, well. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things that are problematic in quantum mechanics, I think, except one. And that's a philosophical problem, and the thing is that, in fact, the theory really predicts things in a very good way, and I think it was Feynman that said, well, uh, it, it, it shut up and calculate. But well, we are philosophers and we will not shut up, <laughs> because the, the thing is not, um, it, it seems uh, not intelligible. In, in a lot of aspects and so uh, well we had perhaps quantum mechanics can be delivered in a new form which is uh, also uh, very efficient calculating things but more intelligible that's that's the the, the objective here yeah okay so before we move on to talking about the relationship between science and philosophy. Let me just ask you about another piece of your work, uh, yeah. because you've also done work on uh, what what you call uh, radio frequency resonant cavity thruster, yeah. that we can also call an M drive. Yeah. Uh, and this is interesting because, uh, first of all, I would like to ask you what that's about. But okay. before, before that, let me just add a follow-up question, because it, it, this thing here seems very interesting in the sense that if it's true that it is possible to conceive of it or to create it in any way, it, it would violate the uh, Newton's third law of motion. For every for every action, there is an equal and opposite yeah. reaction. So, could you tell us about that? Okay. So um, the the electromagnetic drive, the the the, the expression used is not ours. Is uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know the the whole story, but I think it was a, a British uh, engineer 
which uh, thought about it. And the, the thing is, you have a frostum uh, cone, uh, 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 that is um, a frostum, yes. You have a conical frostum with, uh, with uh, uh, I think it's, um, uh, it's cut at, at the point, and you inject um, uh, electromagnetic radiation, I think, um, uh, microwave radiation, radiation on the other side. And um, <clears throat> what the people at NASA has observed is that the whole thing will kind of move uh, very little in the direction of the, the, the cut uh, uh, region of the frustum. So, kind of uh, thing that will move by itself without an external action uh, pushing it. And that would be kind of, um, well, yes, uh, Newton would not be pleased about it. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Or, uh, or, or he will be very excited because uh, <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> there will be new possibilities. But um, what we, uh, well, we, we, we found the, the, the description at, at, at this point. Uh, I think uh, someone in Dresden, in Germany, is trying to make uh, more precise experiments about it. And uh, there's a guy also in, uh, I think, in England or in, in uh, or which is, uh, well, I don't know, in the, in the UK, that is trying to do a theory which uh, describes the scene using, well, uh, I think, Euro radiation and so on. Um, but uh, the point is, uh, we found this thing very interesting because if you think about it using pilot wave theory, uh, the macroscopic pilot wave theory, and uh, right. of course we have now uh, understand that you, we understand now that you can use it uh, as long as you don't follow Bohr and follow uh, the Broglie and the, the, the other persons. Um, I, I should mention this because I was forgetting uh, at, at the beginning, it was Professor Andrade Silva who was pupil of the Broglie it, it, and uh, then uh, the other guy was uh, his uh, student as well. And there we are. And so, um, uh, if you use pilot wave theory, then you can imagine that what you are uh, really making inside the frustum is a kind of um, uh, wave phenomena that is more intense at the shorter side of the frustum. And so, the things in the walls of the frustum will, will see, will see the, the, the intensity of the field being larger at the tip of the frustum and will kind of uh, try to get there, will move there because they are being piloted by the, the whole field and uh, will kind of push everything in that direction, okay? Mm -hmm. In the, the paper we, we uh, proposed, um, uh, we even uh, thought about a new geometry for that kind of frustum that would be, well, in principle, more efficient. So I don't know if someone is going to uh, build that model and try it, but uh, the thing is this. Uh, besides our kind of um, very strange theory, I think there's, n there's no other theory, well, there's the theory of the, the person uh, which is uh, working at the UK, uh, but, uh, well, I think it's... Uh, well, less stranger than ours because he's, he's using uh, somehow physics which is always already known. 
but uh, I think our proposal is uh, well uh, at, at least consistent with everything I have been mentioning to you. So the electromagnetic drive would be very useful because uh, it is a kind of electric uh, trust uh, technology. Uh, and uh, now to uh, going uh, to the third uh, law of Newton, Newton's third law, the point is that, uh, well, think about it. If you are saying that um, every interaction, Newton was thinking uh, using forces, right? Uh, vectors with uh, directions and intensities and so on. Our uh, very well-known uh, uh, sense of uh, pressure, uh, using pressure to... Uh, uh, push something, which is the force, we, is, we were thinking about it in these terms. Well, if you think that every interaction in nature is uh, uh, using wave interference, wave composition and so on, it might well be that you have a situation where the action is not equal to the, the, the reaction. There will be no problem with that because now you are uh, talking about in um, uh, intensity, field intensity um, uh, um, uh, parameters, and so you don't need forces. You need to know is is that if uh, if two waves that are approaching uh, are symmetrical, interfere in 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 the middle, and uh, are uh, absolutely symmetric, you will have action equals reaction. And if the interference is destructive, you uh, you will have a kind of hole. The particles will see the hole and will go uh, will uh, 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 retrieve from one another. And they f they see a kind of uh, building intensity. They will go. Uh, uh, towards one another and you will have action, reaction, attraction, repulsion and whatever. But uh, if one particle uh, has a wave which is not symmetric to the other wave, perhaps this kind of phenomenon will happen without the action, what we call action, which mm -hmm. is force, being equal to the reaction, which is another force. These are 17th century things that we should, uh, well, ask ourselves if there's a better description for them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, if we were able to build that kind of machine and uh, electromagnetic drive, right, um, how would it operate really? And I mean, what sort of sources of fuel, for example, would it need to... None, operate? none. It, 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 it wouldn't need any fuel. No, it, the problem with the, 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 the rocket propulsions and so on is that you have to um, place the, 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 the fuel uh, inside uh, the, the space and so that, that means more weight, okay? So what would you uh, need? You, need? you would need to capture, for instance, if you are talking about satellites and microsatellites, which, which are very, very small, um, or the size of a laptop computer or something, you would have to um, kind of um, harness the energy of the sun and uh, transform it in an electric uh, current or something and uh, make something of a, a, a source of uh, radiation inside the, the, the cavity of, of, of the propelled thing and the thing will propelled, would propel uh, in some direction. Of course, uh, well, this is kind of, kind of the same if it works, of course, because 
the measurements are in the, I think the micronewton uh, micronewton I think is uh, one divided by one followed by micro so six zero something or okay so very tiny very tiny and so and so uh, you you if it works with uh, Newton <laughs> that means that would be something uh, then the same problem is the same problem of the electrical batteries for the electrical cars same mm -hmm. problem because you you will have to uh, um, harness electrical energy to make the thing go of course if you are thinking about space uh, machines or something uh, uh, going <laughs> to Mars or something I think we are very far from that but uh, okay if the principle works uh, it's uh, it becomes a technological problem an engineering problem which are also very interesting problems and very difficult problems to manage because nature tend to uh, not cooperate with us <laughs> it reveals itself always <laughs> Right, yeah. right. So uh, that would mean that if we were e ever able to build that sort of machine, that w we would only need to harness uh, solar energy and we wouldn't need anything else for it to propel forward. Well, uh, it means that uh, you wouldn't have to um, use action-reaction to propel uh, a spacecraft, let's say, because uh, uh, the spacecraft kind of would propel itself, which ooh, right, uh, it's a perpetual model of the first order and so on. Well, no, it, the, the thing is, if you say, well, of course, we have to defend our things. We are philosophers and scientists and so on, so um, and believers also. And uh, so uh, what you would have, you would have uh, a source, source generating a, a wave field which will be asymmetrical will be more intense in the in the side uh, towards where all the thing is going and it will be a kind of a cyclic thing okay mm -hmm. you, you will have a machine then you you will have a more intensity uh, field here because the machine is is uh, is it's all also a source is projecting the field, but also a comp uh, uh, kind of attracted by the field, and the thing repeats itself. And well, and uh, ideally, it, it would work. <laughs> Perhaps uh, several years from now, I don't know. Uh, but uh, of course, uh, these are all conjectures because it may well be, uh, for instance, that uh, you are seeing uh, false positives in, in, in the experiments. Well, I don't know. It's too soon to say, but uh, I think it's a very exciting thing to, to think. Why not? Why should we not uh, be a kind of, uh, uh, well, try to think uh, above uh, the, the usual? Because uh, as you, it, it, it may well be also that uh, the, the experiments would uh, uh, perform negatively and all this is right. <laughs> the same thing was uh, we are just not doing the things right. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the point. So uh, let's wait and see.
That's mm -hmm. what, see. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, and that makes a good segue into the last topic that we're going to explore today, okay. that is the relationship between philosophy and science. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you were really referring to the fact that uh, sometimes maybe philosophy uh, speculates a lot and mm -hmm. we... And, uh, before we have the science, we can't be really sure if it's too much speculation or not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and, I, and I mean, it seems to me that uh, I'm not sure what idea you have of philosophy as it's done nowadays, because mm -hmm. until recently in history, and particularly before we developed the scientific method, uh, I mean, it was even more speculative than it is nowadays. Nowadays, it seems to be a little bit more grounded uh, yeah. in in empirical science and evidence and things like that. And I mean, uh, people wouldn't take seriously a philosopher nowadays that was simply speculating from nothing, I guess. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, it seems to me that philosophy tends to be a little bit too much generalistic but science, on the other hand, uh, I mean, it focuses or, or it specializes too much on a particular topic. And perhaps scientists, uh, people that work as scientists, um, I mean, it's harder for them to see the big picture, I guess. And so uh, mm. th that's perhaps the useful interaction between philosophy and science. Would you agree or, or not? Well, uh, yes, I agree with, with everything you have said. Uh, uh, the point is that um, when the theories are, are kind of developed, uh, people will tend to, and correctly, of course, will tend to develop furthermore the theory in, in the trying to explain things. So uh, we should step back and ask ourselves, what is science for? Science is for making things better for everyone. That's the point. Okay, so we try to explain things and we try to make uh, other things which are not, uh, which weren't there uh, uh, before. And um, uh, so we should think two things. First, that our theories are not necessarily the last theories of humankind. That would be very, very strange. So uh, perhaps in, uh, let's say, 500 years, uh, general relativity will be another very different theory, or uh, it will be said that it was, was a very good theory, but there's another one best and the, the same for quantum mechanics and of course the same for our theory and whatever. So um, the point is that uh, when you uh, are before uh, phenomena that are ill-explained or very strangely understood, like for instance the wave reduction of the quantum mechanics Copenhagen uh, uh, interpretation, you should ask yourself if, uh, if there's a problem there. And, and, and of course, uh, quantum physicists we are, which are working on, let's say, quantum computing or uh, in uh, electronics or uh, making uh, more uh, uh, faster hardware are not to be concerned with those things because they have their own headaches <laughs> and uh, their own problems. And so uh, uh, that's uh, uh, when uh, philosophers of science should uh, step in and uh, 
try to uh, work with physicists, not alone, because uh, a philosopher uh, has not necessarily the training uh, to uh, uh, understand all these things. It, it must be explained to him, but of course there are people that are very exceptional. Not my case, because I work with physicists. Uh, and so um, uh, what philosophers uh, can do there, uh, they can um, say, well, uh, th this is a very nice theory, you have very nice results, you are predicting everything marvelous, but the theory is nonsense, because I don't understand, no one understands it, and uh, perhaps we should get another theory which is uh, very efficient like uh, this one, but that makes some sense. And that's... that's uh, a practical reason for that, and the reason is that if you uh, get a new theory which uh, is uh, uh, as efficient as the other but more intelligible, you can perhaps make another kind of things with it, more technological advances with it. Think about the EM drive if, uh, if it's true. Uh, if you use uh, orthodox quantum mechanics, uh, everything I have said is, uh, uh, is wrong. If you use only uh, uh, Newtonian physics, it's wrong, and so on. So the theories must be sought, and this is a philosophical way of thinking, must be sought always as having limits of application. And uh, shouldn't be sought as the last theory in the world at the face of the earth, because that's very dangerous. <laughs> it's perhaps wrong. <laughs> Most probably will be wrong. So, um, this, uh, I think, is uh, a very useful way of, uh, communicate, of uh, communication between philosophy, which is not worried in following this or that theory, but uh, worried with the overall, as you said, the overall picture of the world and of the theories and everything else, and uh, with the, 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 the physicists that... Um, really also are very uh, uh, hurried, very uh, uh, preoccupied with the, the, the fundamental groundings of the theories that they have learned at school, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is the thing, this is the thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, uh, two things here, uh, and perhaps this will be my last question. Okay. So, um, I, I think that uh, when we do science, basically, uh, all people have to agree uh, on a particular epistemology. I mean, if we don't agree that we can learn more about the world in a particular way, in this case by doing empirical science, then, mm -hmm. I mean, someone could simply dismiss that and say that not, uh, that's not a good enough epistemology mm -hmm. a a and we mm -hmm. could put science aside and it yeah. wouldn't mean mm -hmm. anything. Well. So, so, I mean, that, that's a very specific issue uh, where uh, science stemmed from philosophy and the philosophers can also still help scientists with that and mm. uh, and another point that i would make is that perhaps there are certain ways 
or specific ways where philosophers can uh, give some or can provide some help to scientists in the sense of interpreting the results because recently we've we've had the replication crisis that i mean affected perhaps certain areas more than others like for example the social sciences specifically but mm -hmm. we we got to learn that more or less all of science had a, replica, a replication crisis to a, to a greater or lesser extent mm -hmm. and even scientists among themselves discuss this i mean they have data but uh, what is the correct way for them to interpret uh, those data and what they mean i mean th th that's an mm. ongoing discussion mm -hmm. i mean it's it's mm -hmm. not straightforward that if i have this data uh, and this description of the world i mean if i'm interpreting it correctly yeah. and if it yeah. means exactly mm -hmm. what i'm what mm -hmm. i think it means so do, do you understand what i'm saying so perhaps those are two specific topics where philosophers can help the scientists perhaps you would have something more to say about that i don't know yeah yeah uh, well first of all uh, uh, of course we agree in the given epistemology which uh, comes from the the the, 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 the scientific revolution and so on. But the, the thing is, the very important thing to, to take into account is that you are always making an interpretation of things. Always. Sure. Always. Because, uh, uh, let's say, for instance, when you say, well, um, well uh, I... I, I I realized that when someone told me the following. Ah, okay, uh, of course, when you see light coming from distant stars and distant galaxies, of course, there's a red shift, right? And uh, uh, if you use Doppler, if you uh, think about it as, well, I'm going to pretend that all the galaxies are moving away faster and faster, and so we'll have Doppler effect. Well, then, if you reverse all things, you will have uh, everything packed in uh, uh, an infinite density point and the Big Bang and so on. But there's another hypothesis which is, which, which is this. What if uh, the photons which are coming from the galaxies are uh, getting tired and tired and losing their energy? Then you will have redshift also and the galaxies will be there and no, uh, uh, no expansion and so on. So you are always pretending something about it. You are uh, making an interpretation. So, um, and the, the problem is that um, uh, perhaps it's the wrong interpretation and things must be discussed with people which are not kind of, uh, 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 which do not have to be believers of a certain theory. And their philosophy of science will uh, make uh, will be a good effort. Another thing is that, uh, and I will end with this, is that physicists and scientists and, and whatever uh, are not really to be uh, concerned with, for instance, what practical uses their research will have because they, as I, I mentioned earlier, they have their own problems to solve and they are very hard problems and they must be very respected for that because researching is a, a, a very hard thing to do. But philosophers, 
can uh, ask, well, uh, let's analyze if, for instance, the scientific uh, method should uh, have uh, an ethical zone, an ethical thing that would be uh, uh, useful for developing uh, uh, whatever technology will come next, and so on. And, um, of course, the replica thing uh, will, uh, f uh, would fit on that. And, uh, of course, also, also uh, we have, at this point, environment problems, uh, sustainability problems, well, all kinds of problems, and technology and science are always there. And so, perhaps, uh, philosophers should also be there to uh, ask things, because it's our dangerous way of thinking. We always ask things. <laughs> At least uh, the philosophers I know. I'm not uh, a philosopher. I, I kind of, well, I ask things. <laughs> I'm always asking things. <laughs> That's the thing. Okay. So you were also alluding there to the is-ought dichotomy, that is that perhaps science describes the world and philosophy can aid in the sense of saying, uh, okay, so with this knowledge, how should we apply it? Or how should the oh, yes, world yes. be? Or yes. how should yes. we transform the world based yes. on this knowledge and questions related to ethics and morality? Yes, What's, what is the meaning of all this? Uh, how, because uh, scientists, well, uh, the, the thing is, uh, if you look into the, the, the biographies of great scientists in the beginning of their theories, they were kind of lost. Because they were, <laughs> they were sensing something, and they, it, there wasn't anything about it. There was no manual, there was nothing. There was not even internet, and unfortunately not fake news and so on, but uh, they had to think about it. And so they had to think about it uh, not in a metrical, computed way or something, algorithmic way of thinking, but in a kind of free sense way of thinking, but using all honesty, using all uh, consistency. I don't mean uh, what is... Uh, uh, being rigorous because uh, that, that, that would not apply because you need to be free when you are at the beginning of something and uh, so they were acting as philosophers of course and then when they hit the, 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 the spot they said well let's make some maths about this because you can make maths about everything because maths is a very very powerful uh, tool but uh, you cannot explain uh, in, uh, with the with meaning anything using only math. It's not possible because people will only see the grabbling symbols around it and the, the, what's the main ideas uh, uh, before that. And you have to, and, and, and it uh, often happens that uh, you have a very great and beautiful mathematical building and then the main ideas are not so beautiful as the mathematical <laughs> things around them. <laughs> and so you should avoid uh, uh, making beautiful uh, maths before having beautiful ideas. Of course, it's very hard to do that. Very hard. Yeah, otherwise you can get seduced by it and then... <laughs> it can get, sorry? seduced by the mathematical oh, yeah, yeah, models yeah. and yeah, then you yeah. get stuck with them. Yeah, like yeah, that. yes, 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 that's it. Yes, you got it right, right. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so Dr. Castro, let's end the interview here. Before we go, would you like to tell people what might be some of the best places on the internet, for example, for them to find your work? Uh, well, you have uh, ResearchGate, of course, Every uh, the papers are online, so you can go there. You have also uh, CFCUL, which is the Center for the Philosophy of Sciences of the University of Lisbon. You also have there the, the papers and, uh, well, everything else. And um, um, ResearchGate, Academia also, and that's it, of course. And uh, I think some, some news in the internet about our crazy work, <laughs> philosophical, dangerous work. <laughs> and uh, uh, you, you can uh, get there, and of course we are online and you can contact us, and uh, well, we are available, of course. Okay, great. So I will be leaving links to all of that in the description box of oh, the interview. Oh, thank you very much. Thank okay. you very much. Okay, and again, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show and to talk with well, you. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure also. Hi there. Thank you for coming to my channel and for watching this interview until the end. As you might have noticed, I've been putting out regular interviews with academics and intellectuals from a variety of fields. So to keep the channel sustainable, I would like to ask you to please visit my Patreon page and to consider making a pledge there. Uh, otherwise, I also have a PayPal and Subscribestar. And if you like what I'm doing, please share it, leave a like and hit the subscription button. I would also like to give a huge thank you to my patrons, Karen Litzke, Anne Blanchett, Perelga Larsen, Lau Guerrero, Chantel Gelinas, Francis Ford, Hans Frederick Sunda, Brian Rivera, Lucas Stafiniak, Sergio Condriano, Yane Henninen, Ricardo Vladimiro, and Dr. Jerry Muller, Herbert Gintis, and Ruth Gervoz, and also my three producers, Isar Webb, Rosie, and Jim Frank. Thank you for all.